Hello and welcome to the wonderful world of wine. We are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the wonderful world of wine. Kim and I are here to talk all things wine with you. Uh, Kim, how are you today? I'm well, Mark. How are you doing? Everything is great. great. Always happy Me too. to talk wine today. Absolutely. It's my favorite thing to do, besides drink the wine. There you go. <laughs> we did that last show. We did, celebrating our 100th episode, and we're psyched to get on to the next 100 episodes, and that we're, we're glad that you're along for the ride with us. So we start each show with what we Googled ourselves this week before we have the topics that we discussed together. So Kim, what did you research on Google this week? So I did some research on a particular area of California that isn't as well known as Napa and Sonoma, but that has a lot of very interesting wines coming out of it and that a lot of people are enjoying. And we're trying to get a little bit more information out there to consumers. So it's an area called the Central Coast. It is ginormous. It Uh goes all the way from just south of uh, San Francisco down to Santa Monica and it has both coastal vineyards and then also vineyards more inland and the names themselves are actually a little bit more familiar I think to people than just the overall category of the central coast. So these are places like Paso Robles, places like Monterey, places like um, Arroyo. So there's a lot of wine, uh, a lot of different grapes, a lot of different styles. I am particularly fond of the reds from Paso Robles. They're really ripe and lots of fruit. There's excellent Zinfandel, really great Cabernet. uh, And these are wines that uh, I get particularly excited about. And I love just having a little bit more information that I can share with my consumers. Great info. A lot of good yeah. Pinot Noir from there the is, Central Coast. There is coast. excellent Pinot Noir from the Central Coast from more of those like coastal regions. They get a lot of cool air coming in from the Pacific Ocean, and Pinot Noir loves that. And what about yourself, Mark? What did you Google this week? Well, this week I saw a stat, Kim, about the top export markets for the U.S. wines. So where are we sending wine to? And I was kind of surprised at some of the top ones. Hmm. Who would you think is the number one that we're sending wine to? Because I think Let's you probably see. thought what I did, but well, we'll see. Were we thinking China? I was thinking China, yeah. You were thinking Hong China? Hong Kong, China. But I thought I think I had seen a stat not. that Italy is is a place where a lot of our wines go. Am I, I, am I that wrong? Too. Ah. That was not in the top five. Okay. So the top export markets for the U.S. wines. Number one is Canada. Oh, which, that actually makes a whole lot of yeah. sense. I guess I should have thought of that. Canada, then the U.K., uh-huh. and then Hong Kong, Japan, France, and China. Really? And That's I, very interesting. And I thought Italy would be up there, too. I guess Italy yeah. is sending more to us than we're, mm-hmm. we're sending to them. But yeah, interesting. Very. And uh, just another graph, too put out there for our listeners. Geeky stuff. Absolutely. So for our first topic today, Kim and I thought we would talk about wine tariffs. There's been so much in the news lately. Actually, more newsprint than news stations, I mm-hmm. thought, lately. You can find these tariff articles every day and what it's about. And I'd like to kind of talk back and forth here with Kim and, and find out what is your interpretation of what's going on, Kim, and how it affects your business and my interpretation and see if we can together figure this out and give our listeners some information what it is. So what it is, is special taxes that are going to be put on wines that are coming into the United States from certain countries. 
countries. And the big one that is getting hit is France. Italy is not. Uh, I do believe Spain is as well. And there are certain other products from other countries that are also getting hit. So the biggie that people are talking about are whiskeys from Scotland, so scotch. And what happens is that as soon as these products cross the border, whoever is the one doing the actual purchasing then has to cover the cost of this extra tax. So in the most cases when it comes to alcohol, it's the importer slash distributor. So once they have to, I mean, say they're getting in a wine from France that they ordinarily pay $100 a case for, they are now going to have to be paying $200 a case for that wine. And then they will wrap the cost into what they then charge to whoever their customers are. So whether it's being passed down the line, if it's an importer, then it's being passed down the line to a distributor who is then selling to the restaurants and the retailers. And that cost is going to be passed along until ultimately you, the consumer, will also be having to pay some of that as well. Yeah, it's it, there's a lot of information. And my initial understanding on a tariff was a typical 750 milliliter wine, the tariff was like uh, 10 cents to 30 cents of cost because of a tariff charge. So something happened. I, we, we don't like talking politics on, on the show, but something had happened where the U.S. didn't like something that was going on with France and it's dealing with Airbus. In October, they said, well, we don't like what's going on. So we're going to put in a 25% tariff increase on French products, not including sparkling, which was strange at the time. It was up to like 14% alcohol mm-hmm. and scotch. So it was like four countries, France, Germany, Spain, and scotch. But then something else, I don't know if you follow politics. I'm sure a lot of our listeners know more than I do about it. But something else happened where EU nations then were supporting Airbus or some other uh, big corporations in the United States, and we didn't like it. So they said, now we're going to impose 100% tariffs and add all the EU. So this is huge. The industry's going crazy. So imagine, Mm -hmm. you know, you're buying a $10 bottle of wine, imported wine. It if you can still get it imported, it's going to cost you double, basically, Pretty 20 much. bucks. So how would this impact like the restaurant industry, Kim? Are they looking at, are you dealing with vendors now that are saying, oh, we're looking at what we have to do? Or Sure. Yeah. So we have to look at, you just brought up the question of availability. So it's not just about price. It's about, hey, if an importer decides that, well, this doesn't make financial sense for us to bring these wines in anymore, then there will be fewer products that we can even get our hands on here. Because if it doesn't make sense financially for someone to carry a certain wine from a certain country, then they just won't do it. They'll shift what they're carrying to someplace else that makes more reasonable sense. So I've been thinking of those smaller wine producers in these European countries who they've probably got pretty good relationships with their, you know, along the the chain where who they're selling to, who is then selling it overseas to us, that they're probably going to be pretty hard hit by this because maybe the importers aren't going to want to do business with those smaller growers who are like, yeah, we can't really do anything about our price. This is what we have to sell it to you for in order for us to make a living. So I think that we're going to see um, a significant reduction in the different types of wines that we're getting from the EU, um, not only different 
regions, but also, you know, these smaller producers that I think tend to produce better quality wines. Yeah, so you have to think, like you were saying, as far as the, the wineries, the EU wineries themselves who are selling to the importers, they can't eat 100% tariff right. costs. Where the first 25% went in effect, I heard some suppliers, the, the importers were asking the winery, you know, we still want your product. They say, okay, well, we'll take care of that 25%, but they're not going to take care of 100%. No, 100 is ridiculous. They can't do that. So it's really, the industry, really hard. I mean, I've seen some small importers, they're saying they'll have to close. Yeah, that they they might go out of business. Yeah, their whole portfolio is imported wine. So what's going to happen is these EU wineries will then now sell to China. They'll go somewhere else, just you know, who are begging to get more product. So a lot of people are nervous. There's been a lot of petitions out there to sign. I think there was a, a informal hearing, which had a lot of good articles about what was happening there. And a lot of the representatives were saying to people, well, this is a good thing for American wine, right? Because people will drink more American wine. But think about this. A lot of the big American companies also have holdings in European vineyards. And not only that, but there are certain special wines that we get from Europe that can't be replicated in other places. I mean, our wines from California are great. Our wines from Oregon are great. Our wines from New York are great. But they're not Bordeaux. They're not Loire Sancerre. They're not Muscadet. They're not Burgundy. You know, they're different. They're all excellent, but they're different. And suddenly not being able to get our hands on those wines or not having the availability to be able to experience those wines, I think will be detrimental to consumers. And yes, will people start maybe drinking more American wines? Sure. But it's just not the same. Yeah, no. It, I mean, that's the thing. If you want to play, pay double, if you can find them, if you but can, and are, if you can, they're yeah. not even go- going to send them into the country, right? Probably, so it's which it's, eliminate a huge. You're talking retailers that specialize, importers that specialize. They cannot stay in business, and these meetings were sad because they had all these people basically begging the government, you know, look at this. This impact is huge. Right. And I think a lot of people were initially thinking, oh, well, it's just going to make the wines more expensive and didn't make that next step of, well, if the wines are too expensive, then you have this other problem going on, which is that they're too expensive at the very beginning, then they won't be brought in at all. So they they had a, um, there was a lot of graphics out there about like what the impact would be. And the one I saw that had the most feedback uh, on social media was one that just showed stats about job loss and they showed that the EU would sell to China upwards of 10 billion dollars worth worth wow. of increased business to China. US jobs to be lost would be like 70 to 80,000 jobs lost. And did they specify where those job losses would be? Would it be mostly on the imported distributor side? They did. They said, gave a stat saying there's about 65,000 importers and distributors in the United States who employ like 200,000 people. Right. So it's not just the people who own these companies. It's salespeople. It's people who work in their accounting department. It's their truck drivers. It's, It's the entire gamut of different jobs to do in a big company. And that was the retail side, Kim, too. So they didn't look at how, how do you know now restaurant impact mm-hmm. like if you on your on your wine list what do you have probably 50 percent imported 50 percent domestic you you might lose 50 percent of your list mm-hmm. right so and what if you have an italian restaurant and you, all your menu is italian wines right. you can't double your product you you can't do that so it, it's uh interesting i've talked to a lot of distributors when the first 
25% come in, they say, well, we're just getting stuff shipped now. We're going to see, you know, not pay that 25. We're going to get increased yeah. now. So I think that was now. a big, that was a big thing that happened for some of the distributors I was talking to, too. And after they put up the 100% thing idea, now they're saying, whoa, 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 don't hold, you know, don't ship anything yet. We don't do anything. And, and the wineries don't want to do anything because they don't know what's happening. So there's going to be you're going to start seeing a little bit of low inventory mm-hmm. coming up. We we know that scotch already went up with the 25%. And there were certain liqueurs that were going up too, I believe. Yeah. It's, well, now it's in, it's going to impact all. And not only you being the foodie, Kim, it's going to impact cheese, no. food, all imported foods. So this is huge. Yeah. And I'm surprised it's not getting national attention uh, on news stations or, or you know world news type of things it's just mostly articles in the wine industry and people who went to the federal meeting in washington said the room held like 200 people and they were shocked that not even like no restaurants or sommeliers from washington were there no one in the industry local packed the place huh. so they feel the representatives didn't feel it's an issue because they only had like 50 people oh instead my goodness. of 200. I'm surprised that's all that it was. Yeah, it's sad that n- no one showed up. So, you know, this week I had put out a little thing about a petition to send out and let your representatives know you, you don't want this to go through. So it's all political, unfortunately. So who knows? Mm. Who knows? Have you heard a lot of scuttlebutt from Oh, yeah. From We've been talking about and- it for six months. Every time we have meetings with our distributors or we have dinner with our distributors or my trip to France, you know, it was... All it was things that were top of mind and have been for for quite a while. So yeah, all the all the levels of our industry have been uh, have been talking about this for quite a bit of time and trying to you know make a plan and figure out what's gonna what's gonna go on. I talked. I, mean, to I think other- we're kind of lucky in the restaurant that we are at that we can adjust. Sure, there are going to be some hard hard hit things like um, Muscadet, for example, fantastic shellfish wine, great with oysters, and something that is very very popular popular on our list. We don't know what's going to happen with Muscadet, what's going to happen with Sancerre, what's going to happen with Red Burgundy. Yeah, that's know? a good example because if you go and order a Muscadet at your restaurant, it's probably what, $30, $25, $30 a bottle yeah. maybe, right? You want to pay $60 for that? It's not usually a pretty expensive you know? bottle, but yeah. A customer's not going to pay $60 for a Muscadet. As good as it is with yeah. oysters. <laughs> In retail, it's a, it's a $15. So, I mean, that's right. huge. It, well, it won't be $15. it will be half but (laughs) so but you know i've talked to other retailers who you know their selection is based on finding these niche imported items we know people personally have their own small importing businesses that they just can't do it they Mm -hmm. you can't do it anymore the selection is going to dwindle down which is going to favor the big u.s corporations you're going to see more of that if this goes through or those big brands and big brands smaller family producers someone's going to uh take over but we'll Mm. have to see so tariffs are hot kim well as the uh as the historians that we like to be and look back and think about wine through history and how things change or sometimes how things stay the same this is a new thing for us but it's not necessarily a new thing for the wine industry there's always been the interaction between wine and politics and when there have been wars between great nations like between France and England there were changes that had to be made because England could no longer get French wines and they were going back hundreds of years here but that was 
the whole reason why port was invented was because the English still needed their wine and they needed to go get it from someplace else. So they went to Spain and Portugal and whole new styles of wines were created and new areas were opened up. So I don't know if this situation will lead to something like that, but change is a constant. So we shall see what happens. It's funny you said that, Kim, about the history because the, the whole basis of why booze was taxed so heavily you know to to, to fund uh, the revolution mm-hmm. you know it's it's interesting how there's always been a tax on the labels are gone remember years ago we had the seals on the the tax sales on no balls. i don't remember that oh you're so much younger <laughs> than me. before my drinking time <laughs> people our listeners know there was a little tax seal that said the tax was paid on oh, this bottle but there was a chart i had years ago it showed like up to 40 percent of state federal taxes built into the price you know mm-hmm. we don't have sales tax any longer at the counter but there's always tax right it's somehow. hidden in there yeah it's always in there and yep. it's a shame and now this is just another tax yep. that whether it's an excise tax or whether it's a tariff uh, there are all of these things just like gasoline you know just like buying gas at the pump there are all these taxes that are uh, figured into it and alcohol is no different and your cable bill <laughs> all your phone bills You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. We are your hosts, Mark and Kim. You can find out more information about Mark at franklinliquors.com and more about myself at vinitaswineworks.com. So a little bit of local news that is wine-related that we wanted to discuss on the show today. And this is regarding a small business that has just opened up in the neighboring town of Millis. And a uh, they are a coffee shop slash cocktail wine bar uh, kind of dual concept uh, and the section of town that they've opened up in is called Millis Clico and for those of you who are familiar with wine and familiar with champagne know that there's a famous champagne house called Vouve Clico and they are very very protective of their name and their trademark so when this coffee shop opened up a couple of weeks ago and they wanted to call it Clico because of the name of the town part of Millis that they were in the folks at Vouve Clico came down very, very hard on them and made them uh, change all sorts of stuff about the business. Yeah, this was sad, Kim. Business owners, small business. First, I was amazed that when you, you were listening to the news and you hear Clico and, oh, you know, you're the bubbly queen. So you, when you get to it, you can tell our listeners a little bit about Clico. But this poor local business. Now, I don't know if a lot of people are familiar with Millis, but have you noticed, Kim, when you're on 109 and Millis, there's a, where the Inn and Hope is, there's a little factory in the yep. back there and has a little stack and it mm-hmm. says Clico. So if you're actually on your GPS thing, it says Clico Millis. Yeah. in that region there. The weather apps do the same thing. So my weather and, app station is Millis Clico because I'm on that side of Norfolk. That Clico tower there is actually, I thought it was painted on. It's actually in brick. So oh. historically, that's a very historic thing in the town. Was it a mill? It, it was a soda. Soda. Clico soda. Oh, soda. Yeah. So before this gentleman, there was actually a restaurant for years called the Clico Cafe, I believe. So this gentleman comes up. He wants to open a business. He wants to play on the Clico thing. He names his, you know, Millis Clico Cafe, I think, at the time. And somehow... These people, now Clico is a huge corporation. Multinational, multi billion dollar. It's LVMH. So it's the Moet, Hennessy, and who's the fashion guy? Louis Vuitton. Yes. So it's a huge, huge. And somehow they found this guy, probably because of social media. He puts something out, Google somehow says there's a Clico now in Millis, and he gets a cease and 
is it cease and assist cease order? Cease and desist, yeah, with the name. You have to now make the name, you know, the name is wrong. Your colors, you're using yellow because Clico is yellow. And he had just spent like $5,000 on his sign, his branding. He had to change his business LLC, his signage, re- basically do all his social his media. His website, his Everything. email, all of, all of his stuff he it's had to change. It's just amazing what they can do. And, and, and I think he, he was saying nice in the uh, news story that they are working with him. So I'm sure he said it's going to cost me a lot of money. And now I think it's called Millis Clico Coffee. Millis Clico Coffee. So It's right on 109 in Millis. And I, I have to tell you, when we bought the store in the 70s, we found all these old wooden soda crate that had Millis Clico soda huh, on him. And I noticed in the news story, he had decorations of the old Clico stuff. So I think we'll have to stop in there, get a drink and give him a couple of crates we, I think we should definitely do that. Let's go in and uh, lend some local uh, local small business support uh, to our neighbors over there in Millis. But, you know, it's such a shame. And it's one thing to be protecting your brand and being aware of protecting your intellectual property and all that stuff. But I mean, come on, <laughs> you know, this yeah, is a little guy. Crazy. And there's precedent for the name in the area that's what sort of is befuddling me it's like it's not like he just came out and said oh i'm just gonna call it clico and specifically trying to steal from the champagne house this is a name that has been associated with this area for a hundred years or more so i think that this is a little ridiculous. Let's talk a little Clico about people. Clico for our listeners. Can we're, we're talking 1700s? These this champagne house. Right. So who was the famous? Uh, wasn't this the house where the famous woman invented? Yes. So her her husband's name was Clico. So she was Vuv Clico. So the widow Clico. But Ponsardin was the other name that was affiliated with the family. And after her husband passed away, she took over the, the winery in the champagne house and introduced Which a number. Which was very unusual, very, right? For uh, way actually back then, not right? for champagne, no? believe it or not. There is a, a very uh, robust history of female members of these champagne houses being the ones to really uh, take the lead and and be responsible for their houses and their product. Laurent Perrier is the exact same way. That's been female owned for like 200 years. Wow. But anyway, I digress. But anyway, um, so Vouv Clicquot was one of the real movers and shakers at the beginning of Champagne's creation, uh, along with a couple of other people like Dom Perignon. So she spearheaded a lot of new innovations that have made Champagne what they are today. And so now this brand is, as you can see, an international powerhouse with a lot of power and a lot of dollars behind them i'm sure for them a five thousand dollar sign is nothing but for our neighbors and neighbor and millis that's you know that's a big chunk of change so the the folks in champagne have always been very very brand conscious and wanting to protect the champagne brand so the name champagne the word champagne can't even be used really on anything so you can't call your sparkling wine made in the same way as champagne you can't not only can you not call it champagne but you can't even call it champagne method you have to call a traditional method or something else you can't name a paint color champagne you can't have nail polish called champagne you know any of these things they're very very protective of the name and the reputation of can kind of think of the word champagne as a brand in and of itself and and this seems to be that the, the folks at Vouv Clicquot are kind of taking it one another step further and that their brand name they're taking sort of the same mentality so you're the the bubbly queen mm. and i'm sure I you've had bubbles. a ton of clico in the past I and mean, it's generally 40 dollar up retail bottle yep. right would you change your opinion on a corporation as a as a consumer 
to buy this product now, knowing this type of story? Um, I mean, or do it's, you respect it's never that really protected? been my go-to. So personally, I can't say whether or not this will change my buying habits. But I don't know. You know, I kind of feel like big companies should have a little bit of the human element in there as well, and to take different situations into uh, into account. And maybe there. I mean, I don't know how they interacted with this gentleman and Millis, and maybe it was all done in a, <laughs> you know, in a way that was understanding. But I I don't know. I don't know if that was the case. So yeah. So I, don't I, know. I, I was just curious if you think it's good that they're protected. I know you, you, you like the protection. Yeah, no, I do. They're protecting this history. Uh, we don't know. But I mean, at this point, we don't know the true story. Right, and but... for this, they're not, look, they're not protecting the reputation of the region of Champagne. They're protecting their brand. They don't want anybody using the, their brand, and I, I can understand that, but when it's a name that is in other places referring to completely other things, I don't necessarily feel like they're the only ones with um, a claim to use the name. I just think it's something in back of my mind mind now. <laughs> Are you going to buy a little bit you less? Know, yeah, I mean, it's just something to let people know another reason maybe to go to a smaller grower of champagne than as long as we're not hit with that 100% tariff. So, right. But uh, interesting story. We thought we'd, we'd tell the listeners about it and anything champagne sparkling related, we gets Kim all happy here. That's right. So. It really does. But uh, that's another shout out for going to support your local business. So whether it's your local coffee shop, whether it's your local retailer, whether it's your local bakery, go out and buy local and support your neighbors who have businesses in your towns. Thank you for listening today on The Wonderful World of Wine. We've been your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. We would love any questions or comments you'd have. And you can find our past episodes on SoundCloud or iTunes. Cheers. Cheers.